you, David. Well, good morning, everyone. Luke chapter 18 is where we will be this morning, just looking at those first eight verses of Luke chapter 18. So we're continuing on with our prayer series in the morning time, trying to be a little bit more practical or helpful with um, how we do that, how we pray together. And this morning's topic that I've been given is persistence in prayer. So Luke chapter 18 was the natural go-to chapter for that one. It's the story or the parable about the persistent widow. It's God's word. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God or cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my enemy, she would say. So sometime, for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. For six then Jesus said, listen to what this unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time. Father, I ask that you will apply this familiar passage. With many of these passages, we know the story, we know the ending, and we probably think we know what the passage is all about. But God, I just pray that you will bring this passage to us this morning in a fresh and a new way. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Holy Spirit, impact us deeply. Impact our prayer life deeply from this this morning as well. Because there are times and seasons in life where we don't feel like persisting in praying. We don't even feel like praying. But God, will you motivate us this morning through this passage? Help us to see who you are through this passage this morning. We ask these things in your name for your glory. And everyone said, amen. So this is a passage about persistence. So here's a question. What's the difference between someone being persistent and someone being annoying? Is there a difference? Is there a fine line between being persistent and being annoying? A definition of persistence is this. It is refusing to give up refusing to let go and to be unyielding towards a cause. That's what persistence is. But surely you could argue that annoyance is exactly the same thing. Annoyance is a refusal to give up. It is a refusal to let go and it is unyielding towards a cause. Although it's a little bit more bothersome, that one. In an article that surveys 3,000 families, one mother admitted Despite being adorable, 99% of the time, our children do have the ability to be really annoying at times. I wonder, do you agree? Is your child, if you've had children, persistent or annoying? And what's the difference? Top 10 annoying things that children said, according, not to me, but to someone else. Okay, so I don't get in trouble this morning. Number 10, he, she hit me 
Number nine, I hate you. Number eight, in a minute. Number seven, can I have? Number six, it wasn't me. Number five, I don't want to. Number four, it's not fair. Number three, are we nearly there yet? Said no child on the way to church ever. Number two, why? Number one, I'm bored. I say all this because is the widow in chapter 18 of Luke, is she persistent or is she annoying? Why do we call this the persistent widow rather than the annoying widow? Does the judge in the story simply give in for the fact that he sees her not as persistent but as annoying? Is that why he gives in? And what has this passage got to do with prayer? Because according to verse 1, it is something very important to do with prayer. It says, work our way through the passage and let's discover why this is persistence and why we should persist in prayer and why that is such an important discipline as we come to pray. So this is a story, point one. It's really about a judge and a widow. The setting of this story is an unnamed town. The two characters in this parable are this judge, doesn't have a name, and this widow, who doesn't have a name either. The judge represents the powerful and the elite of society. He's an important person in this story, or he represents important, powerful mover shakers, decision makers within the culture. In verse 2, he is described as someone who doesn't fear God, and he doesn't care what other people think. So he doesn't care what God thinks, and he doesn't care what other people think, so the logic of that is, what is he going to care about this little insignificant widow? If he doesn't obey God's authority and God's rule, then he's not going to care much for what this little widow has to say outside his courtroom. He's ungodly. He's corrupt. But there was an Old Testament law which meant that you had to show special favor towards widows. So by law, he is obliged to listen to, give special special attention to this widow and answer her request. But he's a mean, bad judge, and he refuses to do so. And he doesn't even care what the widow thinks, let alone what those in his courtroom think or what those outside think of him. The widow represents someone who is the complete opposite of the judge. She's weak. She's helpless. She's powerless. She represents anyone who is oppressed, anyone who is an outcast. And here is this widow who is at the mercy of this judge. And so far in verses 3 and 4, in our passage, her request, her plea, her whatever it is she wants justice for, whatever that situation, we're not even told what that situation, it could be a massive thing, it could be quite an insignificant thing, we're not told. But all we do know is that her request seems to land in deaf ears. The judge does not care how often she comes and stands outside his courtroom. He does not care how often she rings his PA and leaves a request for him to call back. He intends to ignore this woman and just leave her. He doesn't care. So here we have a widow who has no resources, who has no money, who has no one to represent her. No one wants to listen to her. You've heard of those, um, used to be on afternoon TVs, um, where it was like no win, no fee. This is like one of these situations where it's no hope, no plea for this poor lady in our story. But there's a strange, unlikely twist that comes in the passage in verses 4 to 5. The judge gives the widow justice. And we're not told why he has a change of mind. He just 
grants her justice. So it leads us on to the next part of this passage. So we looked at the judge and the widow. What about the judge and God? Because Jesus tells this parable for a reason. He tells it for the reason that he wants to contrast this judge with God. What do we learn about the judge and what do we learn about God? Well, if we have this judge in this passage who is corrupt and ruthless, but he can give justice, then how much more will God in his righteousness, in his compassion, and in his love grant justice to people? If this judge in this story acted like he did something, he granted the request, how much more will our God, who hears and who answers, who is good, who is generous, who is kind, who is loving, how much more will he not act? And that sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds this beautiful contrast. But isn't it true that sometimes in life, we might see God as the judge in this passage? Because sometimes God doesn't always seem to act or doesn't always seem to hear. And I don't know what your prayers are, what your requests are. On Thursday night at Ascension Thursday, we were talking about impossible prayers that we bring to a God of the possible. And maybe you would say this morning, well, that sounds great, Mark, but I've been praying for a certain situation for weeks, for months, for years and years and years. And to me, it sounds like God's too busy. It feels like God is like the judge in this passage. It feels to me that my requests and my prayers are just landing on deaf ears. But here we have a passage that tells us in first one that we are to keep praying and keep praying and persist in prayer and persist in prayer. And I guess the answer is why? Well, because of verse eight, or for, sorry, verse seven. Don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? This is a passage about a judge and a widow that have no meaningful relationship with each other. And that's the point of this passage. There's no friendship, there's no intimacy, there's no relationship with that. A few weeks ago when we started this series on prayer, we asked the question, why pray? And I answered that question by saying this, we pray because we want intimacy with God. Like we want answers to our prayers, let's be honest. But that very first sermon we said, the point, the main point, the main reason that we want to come and pray is because we want and we long for desire intimacy with God. Prayer, we said, is about a relationship. It's about a friendship with God. Being able to come with whatever your request is, however big, however small, however significant, however insignificant, however important or unimportant, just being open, being vulnerable, being able to come to God with that prayer request. And God is a good, good father. We sang that. He is a friend. He wants us to come. He wants us to come and pray. The judge in this story has no friendship, no relationship, no intimacy with this widow. He doesn't care about her. But that isn't how God treats us. Regardless of what you're going through, that is not how God treats us. Listen to this from Packer. What matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the fact that God knows me. I am graven in the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. 
And there is not a moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. He knows me as a friend. Do you have that relationship with God? You can have that relationship with God. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there's not a moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. God is never too busy, too distracted, too preoccupied with what is going on in this world or your life. He cares. He is there. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, you can throw the whole weight, the whole weight of your anxieties upon him because you are his personal concern. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, we read that God will act speedily, quickly, and he will give us what is best. But again, you'd have to pause there and say, sometimes, Mark, it doesn't feel like God is being very speedy, but is being painfully slow. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I get what is best. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I got the the justice that I think I deserve. And I could give you all those scenarios. Sometimes life just didn't pan out, Mark. So this sounds like a great sermon, but the practicalities of it. What about the practicalities of it? R.T. Kendall says this, waiting for God to act, waiting for him to show up, to step in, to intervene, to take over, to fulfill his promise is arguably the most difficult discipline in the Christian life. On Ascension Thursday, we looked at this exact quote. On Ascension Thursday, Thursday just passed, we looked at one passage from Acts chapter 1, verses 4, 8, and 9, which says this. Wait. This is 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. We get to Ascension Day, and Jesus said this to his disciples. At the point where they've just got used to Jesus being alive again, at the point where they've just got used to Jesus standing beside them again, Jesus said this, wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere I go, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and through Samaria, and through the ends of the earth. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could see him no longer. Jesus leaves and they have to wait. So there's the waiting in that passage. Turns out they have to wait 10 more days. There's anticipation of a promise in this passage. The Holy Spirit will come, but there's pain and uncertainty in this passage because they're not quite sure what's going to come next. The R.T. Kendall quote, waiting for God to act is arguably the most difficult discipline of the Christian life. It's difficult because we all experience those seasons and those moments like Ascension Thursday. We all experience those moments and seasons like this widow in Luke chapter 18, where things don't seem to work out, pan out, be answered, where things feel painfully slow and so, so silent. But God is at work in the waiting. And we don't like that. We don't enjoy that. We don't want the waiting. But sometimes we need the waiting because it is in the waiting where God uses those moments to shape and to mold and to birth and to grow things in our life, to birth and to grow purpose and character and identity and healing and vision and dreams. 
I read a book one time that said this, of Moses having to go to the desert. Moses had to go to the desert so that his dreams could die, so that God's dream could be birthed in his life. And sometimes that is what has to happen with our dreams and our desires. Sometimes they have to die so that God can grow and birth his dreams in our life. R.T. Kendall again says, God will show up in your life in an undoubted, unmistakable manner. How long must one wait? As long as it takes to see why God said for us to wait. His command is for our good. Know that. His command is for our good. He would not ask us to wait if what he had in mind was not worth waiting for. God is the good, good father. You can trust him. You can pray to him. You can bring to him all your pains, all your hurts, all your mess, all your brokenness, all your questions, all your shattered dreams, all those moments that you feel let down. You can bring them all to God. He is not overwhelmed by them. He's overcome the things that overwhelm us. This is a passage that tells us this morning to keep praying to not stop, but to keep praying, to keep praying, to keep praying, to keep praying, and to not stop. So if you find yourself in that storm this morning, you're still in the storm this morning, then keep praying. You still have that illness, then keep praying. You're still in the middle of that difficulty, then keep praying. You're still not sure about the future, then keep praying. You're still concerned about our city and our culture, then keep praying. You're still concerned with that loved one that is still so, so far from God, then keep praying. Keep praying. This is a passage that encourages us to keep persisting, to keep praying, and to keep coming to God, and to not quit. God is not like the judge in this passage. He is not like the judge in this passage. He is good. He is kind. He is concerned. He is concerned. Had a sense this week that there is someone, I don't know if you're in this service, whether you'll be in the 1130 service or whether you'll listen to this online, but said this week, that's it. I am done praying. I am finished praying. I have prayed. I have prayed my last prayer. It hurts too much. The pain is too much. It's too great. I have done. I prayed myself sore and I am stopping praying. Someone has said that. God wants to tell you this morning, pray one more time. Come one more time. Persist one more time. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. And don't stop praying. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we come to you. God, we find prayer so difficult at times. So, so difficult at times. But God, help us to come to you as a friend, as a good father, as a loving father, a father that we can trust, who will not let us down, who's good, who's kind, who's generous, who's loving, who's able, who's stable, who's faithful, a God that we can bring the darkest, messiest, most broken and most shattered parts of our lives to, and you will put us back together again. So God, we bring our prayers to you. Help us, give us the courage, give us the motivation from this passage this morning to keep praying, to keep praying, to keep praying. We ask these things in your name. Amen.